Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm extremely excited for today's interview because I, I got to have a conversation with a longtime friend and someone that I've learned a lot from and I've benefited greatly from, not just in his spiritual wisdom and his uh, exhortation to men and to families and to Christians, but also even as far as business coaching and business counseling, because as you'll hear in this interview, Dale is not just a spiritual thinker and I guess kind of a what we like a thought leader maybe is what you would say in the realm of Christianity. Uh, he's also been an extremely successful entrepreneur in many different endeavors. But I'm going to save that for the episode. I'll read real quickly um, a biography, a quick bio on Dale Partridge that I found on the internet, and so I know it's really accurate. No, I think this is really accurate to what Dale's currently doing. So I'll read it, and then you'll be able to hear in our conversation more about what Dale's currently doing and what he's extremely excited to launch. So this is the part that I'm reading, starting right now. Dale Partridge is the president of relearn.org and Reformation Seminary. Dale conducted his graduate studies at Western Seminary, the Master Seminary, and Grace Bible Theological Seminary. He is the author of several Christian books, the host of the Real Christianity Podcast, and the teaching pastor at Reformation Fellowship in Sedona, Arizona. Okay, I'm not reading anymore. I'm going to link everything that we reference in this episode, and be sure to check out Dale on, on Instagram. I think all of his handles on Instagram, on Twitter, maybe on YouTube, I think it's relearn um, HQ, or like if you if you type in Dale Partridge, you'll most likely find him, but he's the relearn HQ guy on Instagram. He puts out just amazing content and all of those platforms. I'll link all of them below. Okay. I think that's for the introduction. I think that's all I've got. Nope. Just joking. I've got one more thing. Men, if you're interested in joining the 2022 growth initiative, jump on the wait list. We're going to be launching at the end of August. And so, I mean, what? That's only like a month away, month and a half away. So be sure to jump on the wait list. I'm extremely excited for the fall quarter of the growth initiative um, and what we what we have in store for that. So be sure to jump on the growth initiative wait list. I'll link that below too if you don't know how to find that. Okay, that's it. That's the whole introduction. Let's get this thing rolling. Well, Bill Partridge, thank you so much for being with us here today. I've already given kind of a brief introduction as to who you are and what you're currently doing, but would you, I guess in your own words, kind of tell us who you are? Like right now, you know, 2022, when you bump into somebody and they ask, what, like, what the heck are you doing, Dale? What, what's the answer? I mean, that's a hard, that's a hard question because I'm a, uh, a serial creator. And so, um, it's always, I didn't realize how strange I was until I got older and I realized that nobody else was crazy as I am. Uh, you know, it was Doug Wilson who said, uh, you know, to be successful in, in content creation and ministry today, you have to just being crazy is helpful. And, uh, he, he talks about, you know, one of the greatest prayers that we can say is Geronimo. Amen. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of the way that I live, but, uh, ultimately, you know, we have one core ministry, it's relearn.org, where we are fighting for biblical and theological literacy in the church. There are so many Christians in the church who came to the church, but never came to Christ, who have um, bad doctrine, um, uh, who are confused about what the scripture says about certain issues. Um, we are not a logical society. We are not deep, critical thinking society. 
Um, and the church needs to be those critical thinkers. We need to be looking at scripture deeply, understanding with a sound hermeneutic, making sure that we're interpreting properly, uh, making sure that we're applying properly. Uh, I really believe that um, theology needs to be applied. I, I think about, uh, there's a phrase called all of Christ for all of life. I believe that we need to apply all that is of Christ to all of our life, including our family and our business and the way that we uh, you know, relate to our neighbors. And so we're, we're really building a platform with sound doctrine and theology um, so that people can feel confident in the scriptures and communicate the scriptures and ultimately proclaim the gospel. And so relearn.org is our, our central ministry. Um, the, I say the forefront outreach is I have a podcast called Real Christianity and uh, Real Christianity has been around for several years. Um, we probably have 35,000 weekly listeners or so. Um, and it's just this committed group that has just grown over the years. And uh, it's, it's gone through so many renditions. Right now, I'm preaching through the book of Romans. Um, I'm using my sermons from Sunday and really giving a, a podcast version of them. And that's been a, a real fun opportunity. I'm also the president of Reformation Seminary. And Reformation Seminary is, I think, the only uh, theological seminary for house church planters. Um, you know, you and I, Elisha, were in a house church together years ago. Um, and there's something beautiful about small. Um, I think more and more families, Christian families, are looking for different expression of the church. We're realizing that when you have connection, you don't need the crowd. And um, the problem is that a lot of house churches aren't really house churches. They're glorified Bible studies. They're maybe also groups of elitists, or they are nonconformists or they're detached from church history or sound doctrine or confessional Christianity. They're essentially rogue Christian groups. And, um, you know, I'm a 1689 confessional guy, uh, reformed in my soteriology. We're, we're very much uh, a, uh, a confessional group of church planters. And so we have a one-year program that trains up men to uh, plant, pastor, and preach at a biblical house church. And uh, we've had about 75 men go through the program over the last couple of years, and more and more guys are enrolling. And we are, uh, it's a one-year program. And so that's just been a fun thing that we've been doing. Um, and then, yeah, I'm a writer and, uh, you know, do those things. Um, went to school at the Master Seminary and Grace Bible Theological Seminary. Um, and yeah, today we're going to talk about another couple projects that we've launched out. But my passion, guys, is really just the Great Commission. I love talking about the gospel. Um, I think at the end of the day, there's really three things at the front of the spear or the tip of the spear. Um, if it was a triad um, at the tip of a spear, um, if we're thinking about ministry, there's really three things. And it's gospel proclamation, it's church planting, and it's Bible printing. Those three things, you cannot go any further into ministry uh, than those three things. And so uh, my, my passion is really gospel proclamation and church planting. Uh, we haven't got into Bible printing yet, but don't, don't tempt me. Uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming that's going to come very soon. <laughs> yeah, you d usually don't waste very much time on putting action and, and actually bringing fruit to things you proclaim. 
okay, so many things that you just said, uh, or the, I'm, I'm excited to jump into. And boy, I mean, you just went straight for it. You're talking already. Here we are. We're like a few minutes in. We were we were ten seconds in, and you're quoting Douglas Wilson, 1689 confessional. I mean, con- on the Baptist confession. This, so meat and potatoes. This is the real deal that you're talking about here. But that's not necessarily where you were. I mean, maybe even not when we met. You know, when we met, this is crazy. I'd love to hear, you know, from your own perspective, a little bit of your story. But when we met, I think you were still getting featured in like Forbes magazine. You know, People magazine had just did like a special on you. You were this kind of like young superstar entrepreneur. Uh, This was back, you know, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And so what you're passionate about now seems as though it's a little different than it was a few years back. So what was that journey like? Maybe even from before we met, you know, like who was Dale Partridge back in the day? Yeah, uh, Dale Partridge was lost back in the day, um, but I was definitely, uh, I was a business guy and the Lord graciously uh, permitted me to be successful in business and um, wrote a couple books, People Over Profit, Save from Success, Launch Your Dream, um, and had a good experience leading several multi-million dollar companies. And the Lord called me clearly out of ministry or out of business and into ministry. And I um, really struggled with that for some time. Um, I was excited to get into pastoral ministry, go to seminary. And um, I, I got an offer actually from a major um, news outlet. I'm not going to name names, but uh, a major conservative news news outlet for a million I think I remember. I think I remember that. I think you came over to our apartment literally that that night, and you're like, "Hey, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe who just made me an offer." Yeah, yeah. and it was just a, an am- amazing thing that the week after I really felt the Lord say, "Hey, you're done. You're out of the business world. You're into ministry," and we had sold our last company by God's grace because I tried real hard, couldn't do it, but then the Lord just brought a buyer. And then a week later, I got that offer for, for uh, about a million dollars a year. And I, I just sat before the Lord and the Lord made it absolutely clear that that just wasn't the, where we're going. And I remember there's a quote, I don't know who said it, maybe Dave Ramsey or something, but uh, once you get to the top, you realize there's nothing there. Hmm. And um, financially speaking is that once you get to the top, you realize there's nothing there. You, you, you don't need some people need to make a lot of money to realize that they don't need money and that money won't actually solve their problems. And so that was, uh, unfortunately my case, it was, I chased money for a long time and, uh, but the Lord had, had brought me through that and, um, called me into ministry. And I was a part of, um, a community, which you are familiar with that was not graceful. Uh, in the sense that there was a, a lack of grace and there was a, a high, almost legalistic culture of obedience. Uh, you could lose your salvation. Um, and these things became really big marks on the way that I viewed God. And I had a misunderstanding of the gospel. And uh, the Lord, um, a handful of years ago, really just exploded my understanding of the gospel at seminary, um, actually under uh, John MacArthur's preaching, and uh, really changed my understanding of grace, realizing that we're not saved by our own obedience. We're not saved. We don't contribute to our salvation by maintaining our salvation through obedience, that we're actually saved by the obedience of Christ and the righteousness of Christ imputed to us by faith. We're not 
contributing or keeping ourselves saved by obeying. We can't lose our salvation, but God will keep us. We know in Philippians, it says, he who began a good work will complete it or will finish it. Um, doesn't mean that we won't sin. Um, it just means that the Lord will continue to sanctify us uh, through that. And we're not saved by uh, how good we are. We're saved by how good Christ was and is. And we're as saved as Christ is saved because we're in Christ. We're saved as Christ is saved. And so as long as Christ is saved, we will be saved because we are in Christ. And so that really released me of uh, a lot. And it was a recalibration of the gospel for me and um, opened up the doors. And then, and then I got into uh, understanding the, the, the doctrines of grace and predestination, election, some of those things that are deeper, difficult to understand. Uh, not everybody's on the same page of those things, but the Lord just really showed me a, a, a huge amount of grace that, that really changed the way that I parented, changed the way that I ran business, changed the way that I treated my wife, changed the way that um, I preached. Um, and, and in this whole journey of seminary and, you know, recalibration of doctrine, um, it was, that was kind of the inauguration of relearn.org because I was unlearning and relearning uh, what biblical Christianity really is. And so um, that's where I'm at now. Um, we have, my wife and I have three kids uh, who are, uh, what, eight, uh, six, and about to be five. And um, there might be more in the future, who knows, but um, we are, we live here in Sedona, Arizona, which is like the new age capital of America, uh, possibly the new age capital of the world. And uh, we're here to preach the gospel and, um, and talk about Christ with, uh, with people uh, all around us. So that's kind of the nutshell, if it gives a, a, a basics there. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm really grateful that we have you on because I mean, I think that, you know, you just, it's clear, you, you are very clear on your um, maybe subscribing or aligning with so much of the Reformed tradition. Um, you, you alluded to maybe not all of it, you know, but really through a lot of the reformers and a lot of the uh, reform tradition, it's given you a deeper insight into the profundity of the gospel and to a biblical understanding of the gospel. Now, with that said, what do you think it was? Because you had read all those passages before that you referenced. You had read that, you know, it's Christ that began a good work in us and he's going to finish it, that, you know, it's not of our good works, you know, lest any man should boast but it's through Christ and Christ alone. You probably even sang a lot of the, the songs that you would, you know, still align with today. So what do you think it was that like changed to you? Yes. Aligning with those verses, but then to like fully embracing it and being like, wow, this is actually transforming my life. Was that, was that a journey? Was it yeah. a certain perspective? What was that like? Yeah. So I was in a community that was anti-reformed, uh, anti-seminary, um, anti-Calvinism, right? Uh, the boogeyman of Calvinism, right? Um, and it was all about having a really obedient marriage and obedient children and obedient, you know, we were, you know, on the outside, we were whitewashed tombs in the sense that we were, we had everything look great on the outside. Um, and I, to be honest, like, <laughs> this is a hard, hard uh, thing to even say is that I think that I was very likely born again for the first time just a handful of years ago. Hmm. Um, and I say that because I'll never know. Um, you know, John MacArthur was saying once that he, he doesn't know when he was born again. Neither did Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, but something did radically change uh, in me. Uh, I could see for the first time. Um, I had a moment of 
repentance that was unique and significant. Um, I uh, had confirmation and clarity in the gospel in my heart that I'd never had before. I had assurance of my salvation. Um, and moralism is incredibly deceiving. Um, religiosity is incredibly deceiving. We have to remember that um, Martin Luther had a doctorate in theology before he was saved. Um, we have to remember that John Wesley had a master's in theology. He was a deacon in the Anglican church and a missionary to the Americas before he was saved. Um, you know, when you start reading the stories of the reformers, even including John Calvin, you start to realize that there is, you're in a religiousness um, and all of a sudden you realize grace. And so I do genuinely lean toward the reality that I was just born again a handful of years ago. I came to the church, but I never came to Christ, which is, has really woke me up to the reality that many people are in the church and are not actually born again. Hmm. Um, and they've prayed the prayer, we've done decisionism, and they are false converts. I think it was Steve Lawson, uh, Dr. Steve Lawson, who says the only thing worse than not having the assurance of salvation is having the false assurance of salvation. Uh, the idea that you think you're saved and you're not, that, that is absolute worse because you, you are not pursuing Christ in any way. You think that you're saved when in reality you're not. Um, this is obviously the Pharisees at, at, at the core. And so, however, that season that the Lord took me through of legalism, of uh, this false understanding of the gospel, um, it, it made the grace of God so sweet. Hmm. Um, I, I could appreciate grace more than my children likely will because they will grow up with grace. Uh, hmm. They will never understand the weight of the law. Um, and uh, now the law is important, right? We know that the law is what condemns us to sin. Um, we teach our kids the Ten Commandments so that they can understand that they can't keep them um, and that they need a savior. Um, but it was it was a sweetness. Uh, to come to the understanding that I didn't have to work and I could rest in Christ. Hmm. And so that, that was a, a major shift. And so, yeah, I always urge people to examine themselves as Paul uh, commends us to as well, um, to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, read first John. Um, are you having a growing hatred for sin? Are you understanding the grace of God? I've learned that you can't extend grace if you haven't ex received grace. And so um People that are really hardlined, uh, people that are that are, uh, in my experience, the anti-Calvinists, uh, folks. Um, man, I, th those individuals, I, I really pray for because I was that person. I wrote a whole hmm. chapter in a book uh, against Calvinism and against the doctrines of grace and against Reformed theology, and the Lord just completely, utterly destroyed me with the revelation of of systematic theology and and really seeing the truth for what it is. And I know there's uh, nuances and, and intricacies that we can debate on, but um, just the fact that we can say to, you know, to him be the glory or, and, you know, uh, and from him and through him and to him are all things. Mm -hmm. uh, what an amazing uh, shift in my, my understanding of who God is. Yeah. You know, something that might be helpful for, I mean, for me, I know for many of our listeners, because I know, I know for, and you know this, I mean, I'm still in circles every, every, you know, day. And I'm close to a lot of people that just the term Calvinism, you know, would, would shut them down. You know, it's, it's a trigger word. And I, I feel that I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of our listeners 
are in that same boat where they always point to, is it Corinthians say, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. And people would argue and say like, why are you, why are you referring to Calvinism or reformed theology or the doctrines of grace or you know the five points rather than just saying, Hey, I want to be a biblical Christian. I want to, and, and maybe even, you know, taking some of those doctrines. Cause I, you know, like the doctrine of justification by faith alone, which I think to me is kind of like the crux. It's like the, you know, the tinder box, I think as Dr. Michael Horton puts it, which I think is a very, it's a biblical doctrine that really gets attributed to that, you know, Martin Luther, the the 95 theses or whatever, where that was a big, that was a big deal, the justification by faith alone. But you can even go on to the solas and be like, oh, that was a really big thing that we could take from the Reformation. Do you think that people could have better understanding of what you're referring to if you took some of those guys' names out of it and you're just able to point to scripture? for the justification by faith alone. I mean, how do you work through that? Cause I know you're still around a lot of people that probably are triggered by the term Calvinism, you know, or, yeah. or, or triggered by Martin Luther. Yeah. So one thing I would say is that go try to go, go get into any field and try not to use classifications. Hmm. Uh, it won't work. Try to go into the medical field and not use classifications. Try to go into the printing world and not use classifications. Um, there's, there's a glossary of terms for every single community. And, you know, there's, term, the, you know, sanctification or the justification by faith alone or by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, um, the, the solas, um, you know, the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement, um, the doctrine of atonement, um, biblical theology, systematic theology, um, you know, sin, grace, all these things, they have definitions and classifications and names. And, um, and when we think about uh, the doctrines of grace, um, all it is, is AKA Calvinism. Um, John Calvin simply codified that so clearly in his writings. He didn't even come up with Calvinism. He didn't even come up with the TULIP acronym of Calvinism. And to be honest, he was reading and inspired by the content of um, Augustine. And Augustine was the one who really even clarified this doctrine further off of the writings of the apostles and the early church fathers. And so um, Calvin got the credit for some reason, but it was after he died that the, uh, I think it was the Dutch Orthodox Church at that point, came and uh, attempted to say that salvation worked differently. And they produced a document with five points um, that was uh, contrary to the teachings of the reformers. And um, this was at the Canons of Dort. It was a, a gathering of Christians together who were determining, determining if these uh, remonstrants, as the name of these people, were heretics or orthodox. And they presented their case of five points. And they actually came and counseled together, re-looked at the scriptures, and they came back in with five counterpoints. And those counterpoints were the tulip counterpoints. And um, and they, they actually deemed the Arminian view of Jacobius Arminius as being a, a heretical position. And so throughout church history, when you think about the people who are reformed or who are, would call themselves Calvinists or whatever, I would say, you know, Augustine was a Calvinist, right? Even though it was, you know, a thousand years before he was born, sure. uh, John Calvin was born. But you go back to the early church fathers and um, you can start, you even see the doctrines of grace there. You see, obviously in the scriptures, but you see it throughout church history, all the way through, uh, you know, even some of the stuff from Thomas Aquinas and into John Wycliffe and William Tyndale. And you see this into the early reformers, uh, John Huss, and you see it with 
Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Knox. And then you see it with all the Puritans and, and John Bunyan of, of Pilgrim's Progress and John Newton of Amazing Grace. And then you get into Jonathan Edwards and you get to John Owens and uh, you know Thomas Watson and Samuel Rutherford and some of these incredible writers that we all revere uh, throughout church history. The founding of Harvard, the founders mm -hmm. of Princeton, the founders of Yale, the founders of these schools that had these incredible theologians and minds behind them. They're all reformed. And then you get into Charles Spurgeon and Martin Lloyd-Jones and John MacArthur and John Piper and Paul Washer and Vody Bauckham. And you get all the way up into the line and you realize, wow, the vast majority of Orthodox Christian history is reformed. Why am I not? Hmm. What do they know that I don't know? And, um, and so and, <laughs> there's so many more that I didn't even name. Um, and so systematic theology uh, is looking for creating a theology, a view of God that is lacking contradiction. You don't want contradiction in your theology. And so it's the effort of putting together um, soteriology and ecclesiology and biblical theology and angelology and anthropology and putting them all together so that you can grasp and understand um, the Bible systematically from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation. What is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the, the goal of the gospel? Hmm. And we have to realize that we don't know a lot. I mean, I spent five years in seminary, and I, what it taught me is that I don't know much. Um, and so when you have an everyday Christian that fights in battles against Calvinism, I go, to be honest, you don't even have enough information to make that assertion. The average Christian doesn't have that. You would never argue with a medical doctor or a lawyer over the law after they'd spent, you know, eight years, you know, doing this. You, you've spent, you know, a couple nights on the weekends, you know, looking at and you've read three theology books and you think you're a scholar. The reality is, is that it's much deeper than that. And the Bible is the most complex book on earth. There is no other book that is more complex than scripture. And so there needs to be a reverence again for those that have spent their entire lives dedicated to the ministry teaching. The Bible says the fivefold ministry talks about teachers are a valuable and important role in the church. We need men to go get trained. We need men to not just be guys that go, I'm really good at communicating. Therefore, I'm going to grab my Bible and be a pastor. No, we need people to go be trained. Uh, Jesus spent three years training the disciples before he sent them off. Um, I think it's absurd for us to think that we're just going to go into ministry without any sort of formal training. So all to be said, Elisha, um, I, I think that don't be so weary of these terms if you're listening. Um, they are important terms that will help you classify and communicate well about what people believe. Um, and we have to give grace and mercy and compassion and patience with one another. Um, and work slowly together over the years in prayer uh, to come to those conclusions. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good explanation of that. And, you know, something that I've realized more and more is that we, whether or not we acknowledge that we do it, we categorize naturally. That's what we do. You talked about that as Christians, we, even if we don't adhere to what we would consider systematic theology, we have a systematic way of referring to, you know, people, people even call it Christianese. Sometimes they'll say it's Christianese and we form one liner statements around the sanctity of life. Well, is the line sanctity of life in the Bible? No, but that is more or less a doctrine that the modern church has developed based off of biblical, a biblical foundation, you know, or, you know, biblical marriage. Well, the term biblical marriage isn't in the Bible, is it? 
No, but we we can take what the Bible says in a whole, and we can make a system using that systematic theology and develop some framework around that and, and a language for that. And I think most people, whether or not they you know would align with that, they use that type of language. And I think what you're saying is you're kind of creating more of a formal language and categories for what we naturally do anyways, and actually a more um, kind of like trustworthy, dependable framework because we actually have to go to God's word to affirm it and to and to acknowledge whether or not it's of his word. Um, we could go on and on and on about this. I mean, as you've already said, you know, you've spent a plethora of years, uh, you know, at seminary, and this is what you do. You teach theology, you're a pastor. There's a few things that I kind of want to hear from you about, and that is one of your newest projects, which is called Mail the Gospel. Uh, you also just wrote a book called The Manliness of Christ, which I'm really excited to hear about. But I kind of want to give our listeners a little bit more context, if we could, before we jump into those things, because you kind of jumped into your story, you know, for maybe five or 10 years ago. Could you give us even more of a brief, like, I guess, background as to, you know, did you grow up in a Christian home? Uh, so many of our listeners are are young parents, you know, or their families. And I know I'm so curious about family culture. You know, how did your upbringing shape your perspective of marriage and family and being a father? Um, and was it, would you consider it a good influence? And how did, how was your perspective on marriage and family shaped from the time you're, you know, a young boy, adolescence into a newlywed? And what was your relationship like in those early years of marriage? Could you give us kind of a, a, tra- a yeah. rundown of that? Yeah, I can give a quick summary on that. Um, I, I was born in a house that wasn't Christian, but would go to church here and there. Um, American Christianity. Um, I would still call myself really a first-generation Christian. I think my my parents came to faith later in life uh, by God's grace, but um, really, I'm I'm a first-generation Christian. My kids um, will be the first ones to have you know, parents that were really sound, true, genuine believers, uh, all the way from birth. And so, um, you know, my grandkids will be the first to really experience, um, grandpa, grandpa having a, you know, a robust maturity for them to, to draw from. Hmm. Um, I didn't have that. I didn't have that from my parents. I didn't have that from my grandparents. Um, and, uh, so that, that's, that's, a, a big part of, my story there. I was uh, uh, a hellion um, all the way until I was about 20, um, you know, all into the the drugs and drinking and all that world um, in the sense that I was falling away in, in the deepest sense of the word. And um, I came into to, uh, the church, which again, is a grace even to come into the covenant community of God. Um, I, I don't think I was saved, but I came into the church um, and was, became a moralist. I mean, I was, it was all about being better. It wasn't about being made new. I, no one had told me the gospel. I had never repented of sin. I didn't understand, uh, the justification of, uh, of faith or through faith alone and, and Christ's righteousness being given to me. I didn't understand any of that. Uh, and I heard hundreds of sermons and just didn't understand that at all. Um, and, um, that, you know, so my wife and I had, you know, early marriage problems. We've been married for almost 13 years now. Um, and early marriage problems and, and, um, those by God's grace have been rectified. Uh, once the Lord really worked through us and my wife was saved when we got married, but I, I don't think I was, um, uh, but again, I was, I was a moralist and, you know, um, we look at the, uh, 
you know, the different religions out there. I mean, moralism, you know, a lot of Roman Catholics will come from a moralistic background. A lot of LDS will come from a, uh, a moralistic background. And then in the church, we have tons of legalistic churches. Um, the Church of Christ has a huge uh, legalistic background um, with it. And, and a lot of people don't even know it. And so um, that was uh, a big shift for us to come out of that. And uh, we lived in Oregon. That's where we got to meet uh, one another uh, for seven or eight years. I got very sick in Oregon um, and uh, was having chronic illness and was basically getting ready to die. Um, I uh, was having, even a year and a half ago, I was having seizures. I was uh, bleeding internally. I was having all types of issues. We moved down to Arizona um, and shifted my lifestyle in a major way. And I've been healing up. I'm, I'm back at maybe 90%. Um, and so th there's just been a lot of stuff going on. I feel like I've lived multiple lives um, uh, when I reflect on it like this. But yeah, it's, it has, it's still very new for us in the sense that um, um, I, I, I was never brought up with these things. And so it's amazing how fast God can take you into his arms and really change your heart, uh, change your affections. One thing is I, I often tell people is it's not how many years you know the Lord, it's how many hours. <laughs> and so when you have the hours in, um, and seminary will do that, um, pastoring will do that, preparing a sermon every week will do that. You get the hours in, and uh, the Lord has done a major work in, in you know, the, the, the last five years of my life have hmm. really uh, been changed because of that. Hmm. Yeah, you just, I think you made a post on Instagram not too long ago speaking to fathers and then having just that role of being a pastor to their home. And you really gave a, a poignant commission for us as fathers to be, bring Christ into the home on a daily basis in the, the conversation with our kids. Because if we're not initiating the conversation with our children, then culture and society and the entertainment industry and media will they are constantly feeding us and our children and everybody around us a message and we've got to be vigilant on that being a message that is presented and articulated on a daily basis and that's something that i think that i really have appreciated especially over the last couple of years is your like fervor for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, especially the last couple of years, you know, more so than even the first few years when we were friends, is you do not miss an opportunity to share the gospel, to talk about the need of Christ for every human being that's on earth, the 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 that he is the only solution to the sin problem in the world. And you have been beating that drum consistently for a couple of years now. And that's kind of led into actually your most recent project. Cause as you said at the beginning, you're kind of crazy. You don't really stop. I mean, that's how it's been since I met you, you know, seven or eight years ago. And right now this project, it's a pretty audacious project, but I don't know if you could kind of give us a little preview, maybe a little sneak peek as to what mail the gospel is and w w where the idea even came from. Like what's the story behind that? Yeah, so, so many people in the church say that they want to share the gospel, but they don't. Um, the statistics that are out there now say anywhere between three and 10% share the gospel with one person per year. Um, and so you got to ask yourself, when was the last time you shared the gospel? Not, I'm not talking about you talking about Jesus or you mentioning your Bible or reading a passage out of your scripture or 
uh, mentioning that you're, you're, you know, you're a person of faith or whatever it may be. I'm talking, when was the last time you, you shared a, a bad news, good news gospel? Hmm. I mean, a, a, um, a gospel that causes a need for repentance and belief, uh, a gospel that mentions hell, um, a gospel that mentions the wrath of God, the fear of God. And when we think about the, the, the book of Romans, uh, I believe the Romans is probably the magnum opus of the New Testament. It is the greatest exposition of the gospel ever to touch the earth. And when we look at Romans chapter one, verses 18 um, through say 23, you have this introduction to the gospel. And that, that really carries that thread all the way into uh, chapter three, verse 20. So you have this like multi-chapter section about the gospel. And he talks about this section of, about the wrath of God. He opens up the gospel with the wrath of God. He doesn't, he doesn't open up with the love of God. He doesn't open up with the, um, the benefits of becoming a follower of Christ. He doesn't open up with um, accommodating language uh, to make you feel comfortable on your journey. He opens up with the wrath of God. And um, this is something that we have to question ourselves. Why do we open up any other way? Um, the book of Romans is responsible for more conversions than probably any other piece of writing ever to be written. And so I was asking myself, why aren't people sharing the gospel? Like, why aren't we, why aren't we out there sharing the gospel with people? And um, I found out that there's three reasons that were plaguing the church, three problems. Uh, the first reason is they're afraid of rejection. Uh, people are afraid that someone's going to, you're going to share the gospel with them and they're going to reject it. They're going to be upset with you. They're going to uh, retaliate against you in some way. Fear of man, essentially. The second reason is you are um, not sure of your ability to present the gospel eloquently. Um, you, you're afraid that you might not understand it theologically to accurately present the gospel. The third one is you're afraid of the follow-up apologetic style questions that can occur. Hmm. Oh, so you're talking about moral relativism and you're talking about how can we trust the Bible? Is the Bible inerrant or, mm -hmm. you know, what about the dinosaurs or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're just getting, you're afraid of those intimidated by those conversations. So this is, you stack all three of these on top of each other and you go, yeah, that's why people don't share the gospel. Um, so I wanted to solve that problem and I wanted to solve that problem in a way that, um, people could essentially remove those barriers so that they can share the gospel with anyone, anywhere. And, uh, we created a website called mailthegospel.org and, um, people can go there. Um, it launches June 20th, 2022. Um, and you can go there and, um, you can enter your information. You can choose a tract. We've written to start three, uh, what I would say, wonderful and theologically sound gospel tracks. Now, gospel tracks are really terrible usually. I mean, most of them are either really long or really short, and all of them seem to be printed on the worst paper that you could find. Um, and so I wanted to change that. I thought, hey, we need to make these things beautiful. Um, if this is the most important message on earth, it needs to be presented on, on uh, respectable uh, design and, and, and paper. And so I, um, uh, we, we wrote these gospel tracts. We had them theologically reviewed by our theological advisory board. Uh, several men, several of them are, have a, you know, doctorates or PhDs in theology. Uh, we really honed in these gospel tracts. We created a core gospel message. We created three tracts, a primary gospel. And then one of them that is... Uh, got an introduction and conclusion for those that are suffering with depression and anxiety. 
And then another one that's uh, people that are dealing with issues like um, uh, a tragedy happen, uh, chronic illness, uh, grieving, uh, loss, some of those things. And um, you can go to the website, you enter, enter your information, choose which tract you want to mail to somebody, enter their information. Um, you can add a Bible, you can personalize it, or you can even send it anonymously, which hmm. I think a lot of people are going to use that feature because sometimes there's people in your life that you want to share the gospel with, but if you shared it with them, they would not hear it just because you shared it. Hmm. Um, you know, all of us have a brother-in-law that we've shared the gospel with six times. And the last thing he wants to do is hear the gospel from you again. Yeah. So you can mail them the gospel anonymously. Yeah. And um, our heart isn't to, um, to really uh, remove the act of evangelism. It's to nurture it. It's to help people walk in the first step toward the Great Commission, um, to personalize the gospel tracts is ideal. We recommend that. Um, to say, hey, it was really great to see you this last weekend. Um, at that conference. Hey, I wanted to mail you something. Um, this is a, a really robust understanding of the gospel. If you have any questions, let's, let's get on a phone call and talk. Boom. Hmm. And so I'll show you, the, I'll show you the gospel tracks. Um, if you're watching this on video, you can see these, but um, this is one of the wow. tracks there. They got gold foiling on the cover. They have this really cool, uh, it's hard to see, huh? They, let me show you another page or another one here. This is our other one. It's this really cool material. It's like an organic touch nice. material yeah. on the cover. They're not that thick. They could be read in about eight to 12 minutes, um, little booklets. And we wanted to really curb against the reality of them being thrown away. Um, mm. Most tracks are thrown away. This is a little book. It's a perfect bound book. And we think that um, it'll cause less of them to get into the trash. A lot of them to go on a bookshelf. And if they don't read it, uh, they might sit on a bookshelf for 40 years and someone finds it 40 years later, reads it, and the Lord uses it then. So wow. um, that's our... That's the whole thing, mailthegospel.org. We're excited about it and hoping to get the gospel out to millions. Yeah, I'm excited about that mission too. And they do look really, uh, they look beautiful. They they look like something that, like you said, people are not going to hap, hap, haphazardly throw it into the trash because it looks like it's quality, which I think is going to get a lot more people reading that and hearing the gospel message. Nice. Oh, nice. And that's the packaging. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So if you're, if you're not watching on video, I'm holding up the packaging for it and it's, it's an envelope that says somebody loves you. So yes. you're, you're going to open this thing up. There's just no way that you're not opening this up. And so uh, that's just one more thing that we... Yeah, it's so funny. You know, I, I'm sure you can, many people can relate to almost the cringe worthiness of so many tracks that they've seen or, or been handed. I, I was a server in a restaurant for a few years and for Christians and non-Christians alike that worked at restaurants, and this is probably common in, in the industry, Sunday afternoons were the least favorite shift of all time. Getting the post-church crowd was everybody's least favorite shift because we, without fail, at least once or twice on a Sunday afternoon, you know, you'd help your table, they'd say goodbye, you'd go to clean up the dishes at their table, and uh, you know, instead of a, a tip, you would get a tract that you know, so no money, no anything, and you'd get a tract that would start you know, with something like, are you lonely? Jesus wants to be your friend. And, and of course, you know, Jesus is our friend, but like you said, that's leading with the benefits, you know, of, of one of the attributes of being with Christ. And, and that, that just got such a bad rap in the restaurant there. So when you, you know, when you talk about tracks, I'm like, oh man, now nah, what are these tracks going to look like? But these look awesome. And like you said, that they are doctrinally sound, you know, it's a yep. doctrinally sound presentation of the gospel, which you know, that is the means by which God chooses 
to save people is through the hearing of the gospel. I think it's first Corinthians where Paul says that at the get, he's, he's talking about, Hey, this is kind of a foolish system that, that God set in place. The foolishness of the preaching, the preaching of the gospel, but that is what it is. We're not leading out with philanthropy. We're not even leading out with charitable deeds or acts, even though those things are, you know, fruits of Christians. And those are things that Christians do. We're leading out with the silliness of preaching the gospel, because that's, the means by which God chooses to change people and to make them new. So it's so cool that you're finding a way to to reach to bring the gospel to so many new people. I'm really excited about that. Can you kind of walk us through the actual process, like as best as you can? Yeah, my hope is that I just want you guys, if you're listening right now, to do it, to actually mm-hmm. determine who in your life needs to hear the gospel, who you have their address, or you can text them for their address and mail them the gospel. It could be also your neighbor. You have their address. You can look yeah. out your window and, and send it to them. Uh, and I think we're going to start to see people mail the gospel to, you know, the president, to their senators and governors. I think yes. we're going to see people that mail the gospel to, um, you know, people in their neighborhoods. I think that we're going to see maybe corporations mail the gospel to all their staff. And we're mm. going to see a really unique thing happen with these tracks. And so we're praying for that. We'd ask for your prayers um, that, that the Lord uses this. Uh, faithfully. Um, and uh, the, the whole project's been donor funded. Mm. And so we're very excited about just getting that out there. Um, and so, yeah, th- that's as simple as it is. Mailthegospel.org. Uh, excited to have you guys um, come out there and, and use the project. The website's beautiful, easy to use. And uh get the gospel in people's hands. Yeah, I'm really excited about it too. Something that I can, you know, wholeheartedly get behind. Can we just changing gears slightly? I also want to talk about a book that you recently wrote called The Manliness of Christ. Can you and I haven't even been able to get a copy. Is that is this even out like for the public yet? It is. It you're is. like mailing right copies. Here. Okay, well yeah, I need to get a copy. Yeah, I can't I'm embarrassed that I'm bringing it up without even Hey, you're, you're it. okay. No, you're okay. Um we've known each other long enough that it's one of those things. So uh, yeah, I keep yeah, waiting so, for a complimentary signed copy. Yeah, you jerk. No, man, Come on. I, I could, I should send you one. So, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, they're, they're, I write little books. That's kind of my thing. You know, nobody in today's age, unless you're a seminary student has time to read a very long book. Um, and so I, I try to write shorter books. This book can be read in about an hour and 10 minutes. Hmm. Um, it's about 80 pages long and it's four inches by six inches. So it's a really small book. Um, and so, uh, the manliness of Christ. The subtitle is how the masculinity of Jesus eradicates effeminate Christianity. And we just have a very effeminate church. Um, feminism has crept in more than we think. Um, and we are really trying to look at scripture and go, how we've made an effeminate Jesus. I have a chapter called the delicate deity. Uh, that we've created of the kind of Roman Catholic paintings where he looks like he's wearing blush and some lip liner. Um, and so we we get a chance to look at what does the scripture say about the raw boldness, fearlessness, courageousness of Christ. It's basically the stark contrast to Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lowly. Um, okay. And so it really shows, um, I think, a part of Christ that we need. The reason Gentle and Lowly, in my opinion, did so well is because it's it's this kind of effeminate Jesus, not to say that he doesn't have gentle and lowly characteristics. He does. And that book actually is a fairly sound, in my opinion, book on the attributes of Christ. The problem is that it's one dimensional hmm. um, and you get to see only 
one side of that. I've realized that so many books and pastors have made Jesus one-dimensional. And so I wanted to look at really the, the raw masculinity of Jesus. And so, yeah, I wrote this short book. It is probably, in my opinion, maybe the best-selling book that I've written. Um, I barely promoted this book and we've sold probably more than 2,000 copies now. And it's only been up for like a couple of weeks. Hmm. And uh, we just produced a study guide for men's groups um, that's available for five bucks on our site. You could just get it at relearn.org forward slash man. Hmm. That's relearn.org forward slash man. We did also just get it up on uh, Amazon. We're working on Kindle. We're working on audiobook. Um, and so, yeah, we're excited about it. It's a fun little project. And uh, I think we'll teach you uh, and your your boys and your sons and your your brothers and your fathers, um, we need to be reminded of the masculinity of Jesus. And uh, I think as you can see in culture today, men have lost their mark for what a man is. And um, there is no more uh, of a masculine example of manhood than seen in Christ. Uh, unfortunately, the church has just kind of hidden that element, but I've really tried to extract that out in a way that I think we could be really applicable. For wow. Us. Well, I'm excited about that. Yeah, it does seem like here in the West, especially, like, I mean, it's, it seems like it's the church is very much catered to um, femininity, you know, towards, towards women. And when you look at who's leading out in small groups or in prayer groups or in worship or in, you know, praying for other people or in, you know, church events, it is, it is predominantly women that are doing that. And I've often wondered why that is. Cause I mean, you look at the way that the Bible talks about prayer and worship. These are things that are engaging in the spiritual battle. You know, you're engaging in warfare, which is a, a manly thing to do. And yet it's never talked about in that way, nor is it ever, I think, encouraged in that way. And in fact, I think so many of like, just like what we're used to with, you know, going, referring to Christianese or small groups or the way that we do so many things in the church, it is just so like counter to how men know they're supposed to be acting. It's like you kind of like hump over and be like, well, how are you feeling about this? You're like, well, you know what? I actually don't want to talk about this. I think I'm just not made for small groups. You know, I think I'm not made for this prayer night when in reality, that's very much catered to women, which is fine for women's groups, but it's not what we need for men. And it's not what men, how yeah. men I think thrive. Uh, yeah. A men's group is significantly different than a women's group. Um, you know, and, and I talk about that in our study guide of just showing like, these are the kind of questions we're going to talk about. Um, you know, on the back of this, I, I have a little line that kind of explains the, the book. It says, today's Christianity is fixated on emotionalism, pageantry, and a softly lit worship experience aimed to make you sway your hips for Jesus. Oh, yeah. um, that, that's basically what you do when you go into these big churches. It's this very yeah. feminine thing. And so, it's, you know, I, I assume, you know, King David would walk in and go like, what's happening here, you know? Yeah. Um, and so. Um, That's funny. You know, I just actually a couple interviews ago, um, I interviewed a guy that's from up here in North North Idaho, and he, he's a retired Navy SEAL, and he's a very manly man, but he leads worship at his church, and we were joking after the fact. He goes, I love choosing the keys for the worship songs because all the men sing out and all the women are so uncomfortable with how low they are. And he's like, cause it's reversed in every other church. <laughs> he yes. goes in my church, I want all the men singing out as loud as they can. Cause it's at a register where they can. And, and, you know, and, 
And I think it's so funny how it's so backwards in most of the church where it's like, wow, this is really high for me to sing this song, you know, or this is an uncomfortable key or the yeah. melody's uncomfortable. <laughs> we, 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 uh, we lost the art of manly singing. I mean, if you know anything about historical war, you'll understand that men sing. Hmm. It's become really, it's got a brand of femininity on it now. But if you look at like World War II and World War I, listen to the songs the men sung while they were waiting to be, you know, waiting for battle. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so we, we need to get back to that reality of, of masculinizing singing again. And yes. so there's, there's so much there. Um, but anyways, it's a short little book. Again, you can get that at relearn.org uh, forward slash man. Awesome. Love that. Okay. Can you just kind of in a, in a quick, as quick as you can, tell us a little bit about what you're currently doing with relearn, uh, or sorry, reformation seminary and then relearn church or relearn.org. Like how do those two things coexist? Are they two different entities? Who is reformation seminary like geared towards, like who is a qualified candidate for that in your mind? And because you kind of are filling a unique niche, as you already mentioned earlier, you know, there isn't really like this formal training for home home churches, and yet you are finding a way to do that. So what does that look like? Yeah, so we're looking for men who are uh, elder qualified or elder candidates. Um, we're looking for men who are married, uh, who have children, ideally. Um, you know, some people are in unique circumstances, uh, not able to have children, or maybe adopting children. But... Um, my experience is that I've never met a pastor who doesn't have kids um, in terms of a teaching pastor. Um, and so we, we found that that to be the case. And so we, we were looking for men that have children. Um, it's also, you know, the central part of ministry as a pastor is parenting and marriage. Hmm. And so, I mean, that, that is absolutely what you get at um, when you're a pastor. And so unless you're pastoring, you know, retirees or whatever, but I mean, if you have a church that's multi-generational, like it should be, um, then you're going to uh, run into that. And if you don't have children, it's going to be difficult to have authority in that area. Um, that said, uh, you know, yeah, so we're looking for those types of men who we found out that a lot of our men are entrepreneurs. They have full-time jobs they would, that they've created, meaning that they would be bivocational pastors, uh, which I think is great because it only takes about 10 to 15 hours a week to be a house church pastor. Um, and uh, we are... Yeah, we, we, have, we start groups every six months, so every January and every June, and we've been getting at least 20 guys for every program, and we have guys from all around the world. It's hmm. online and in person, and so we have three intensives for four days a week uh, throughout the year, but also we have guys from Australia and Sweden, and uh, talked to a guy yesterday from Poland, um, uh, New Zealand, um, Bel- Belgium, um, Mexico, Cuba, um, and so we're getting guys planting churches, house churches there that multiply into their house churches. So that's been great. Um, um, relearn.org. Um, and I, I run that. We have a small team. Dr. Jason Barker is our dean there. Um, and then uh, relearn.org is really just the teaching ministry of Dale Partridge that's continuing to expand. We're producing more and more content. Um, on Instagram, you know, we have a huge following there that, that we try to serve with great content. Facebook, same thing. Twitter, same thing. We're even getting relearn on TikTok here soon to just make content for Gen Z. Here we uh, go. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, we're, uh, we do email, uh, out for everybody and then the podcast. And so, um, we're producing a couple new shows. Uh, we're going to do a thing called three minute theology, another show, um, called King over culture. Um, and so 
yeah, it, it's, and we're actually gonna do a podcast on house church soon too. And hmm. so lots of stuff that's coming down the line. Um, but again, you can find all of us that, that stuff and all those links at relearn.org. Love it, man. So grateful for everything that you put out, Dale. Um, yeah, just your, your clear definitive message of an, an articulation of the gospel is something that I know I am so grateful for. I know Katie and I have both been blessed by that in your ministry and in your life. Um, yeah, I mean, we miss you and Veronica. That's that's the reality. You know, we miss hanging out with you guys, um, but we're so grateful for what you're doing and just really excited about the fruit that's going to come from your steadfastness and your fervent desire to see the gospel presented to you know to the world. So thank you so much for what you do, and thank you for being with us here today. Hey, brother, man, it's it's been a pleasure. And um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Let me talk about Jesus. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll, make, we'll be sure to link everything that we referenced uh, in today's episode in the show notes so you guys can check that all out. Dale, until next time, see you later. Take it easy.